And now, another wonderful episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. And now, your host, Dane and Christopher. Hey, everyone out there in Wrestling Geeks Alliance land and Geek Vibes Nation, our wonderful nations, if you will, that we've built. This is your host, Dane, and we have another amazing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. I want to introduce now my co-host, Mr. Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing absolutely wonderful, man. Just opened a beer, sitting in front of my computer, about to do this show, so I, I am, uh, I'm hyped. How about you, brother? Oh, I am hyped. I'm hyped like Zack Ryder right now. Um, I'm not going to go, whoa, or whatever the annoying thing he does. But, uh, guys, we have a great show for you tonight. Uh, we're going to be going over all in, a bunch of other wrestling stuff. But right now, we're going to try to do what we did last week and get our interview with Mr. Ken Shamrock. So if you'll give us a second, we're going to be calling him, and then me and Chris are going to be asking him a couple questions. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure it's going to be an amazing interview. Are you looking forward to talking to the MMA legend and wrestling legend, Chris? Oh, I am definitely looking forward to talking to the world's most dangerous man, 100%. So this is going to be awesome. All right, well, we'll just give it a couple more seconds, um, you know, and uh, then we'll be able to start having a wonderful conversation. Oh, I think Enjoy he's here right now. Ring back Ken. While your party is reached. Give him a call. Hello. Ken, how's it going? This is Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Uh, Dane, actually, specifically. How are you doing, man? Good. How you doing? Doing good. Uh, excited to talk to you. Uh, huge fan of yours. Uh, guys, uh, we're talking to Kent Shamrock, uh, MMA, UFC legend, uh, UFC super fight champion. Let's go over this a little bit. UFC 3, tournament finalist, uh, uh, one semifinalist. Uh, Pride Grand P 2000 Finals Super Winner Special Wrestling Two of my favorite belts you've had, sir You've had the WWE Intercontinental Championship one time You also won the King of the Ring in 1998 Beating Rocky Maivia And also the NWA Championship It is a pleasure to have someone of your stature on our show, sir Well, hey, appreciate it Hey, no problem. Let's get right into the interview. I'm going to ask you some questions, and then I'm going to put it to my co-host so you can ask some questions, and we'll uh, get you on your way. Um, what was it like during the early days of USC with guys like you, Don Fred, Royce Gracie, Dan Severin, kind of like before they kind of figured out all the terms for everything, you know, match time, stuff like that? Was it a crazy scene or extremely enjoyable yeah, well, it wasn't those guys. It was like Kevin Rozier, um, Zane Frazier, myself, Hoist, um, oh, what was his name, Art Jimerson, who won one boxing glove. So that was the actual beginning of it. Um, and uh, it was crazy because people, I don't think people really understood what the event was. Um, a lot of people signed up for it. I didn't quite understand what no holes barred meant. Um, guys were going in there with one glove on, not sure to, he didn't really know what to expect. It's like, you know, I mean, it was crazy putting a boxing glove on because it's like you hindered yourself from actually hurting anybody and, um, uh, taking people to the ground. No one understood submissions. So it was crazy. In the very first fight where, um, uh, Gerard Godot actually kicked a sumo guy in the face, I think set the tone for people to realize that this was different. And, I mean, a lot of people got nervous. A lot of people were saying, I didn't sign up for this. And it's like, no, that's what we did sign up for. We just didn't believe it was going to happen. And when it did, 
um, I was excited about it because it was like I had a referee in there, you know, um, I didn't have to worry about somebody coming from behind a building, jumping me or stabbing me. Um, and it was just one-on-one. So for me, it was like, okay, game on. For a lot of guys who didn't have a tough upbringing or who really didn't understand or come from the street uh, and they were more in a professional uh, sense like Art Jemerson and Kevin Rozier and some of these other guys who did kickboxing and boxing for a long period of time um, didn't have an understanding of what it was really like to just be able to do whatever you wanted to do, including kick somebody in the face when they're on their hands and knees. Yeah, actually, uh, it was pride, but I saw some pretty uh, violent stuff from Vondelay Silva just doing soccer kicks in people's faces uh, back in that same day over there. So it was definitely a different beast. Uh, maybe they had a little bit, I guess, more organization at some point back then, but just crazy looking back on it. Um, you know, one thing I've, I've kind of seen a lot, uh, you know, you guys don't have um, – well, well – MMA and UFC, you have weight classes, obviously, specifically. But back then, you guys kind of do what you want. And there's this concept that if you're smaller, you can't take on someone outside of your weight class. And it's, it's something that's in MMA and also a believability aspect in professional wrestling. Um, do you think the early days of the UFC proved that theory to be wrong partially, especially with you know your fight with Hoyce Gracie and everything? No, I don't believe so. I think um... – uh, if you talk about a 180-pound boxer going against a guy that's 250, 260 pounds who is a strictly a brawler, the 180-pound guy is going to win in boxing. Um, but if you put both guys in the ring, one guy that's 220, 250 pounds against a guy who's under 180 pounds, and they have the same ability, of course the bigger guy is going to win. So I don't think it did anything like that. Even with grappling where you saw, you know, um, different guys um, – get in the ring and fight guys that were bigger. Well, the only difference between that was if somebody really understood the ground, um, they were all be able to hold a bigger wrestler off from them and be able to submit them um, because of their skills and their technique that they were so much better. Um, and so people got a misconception about that. I really believe that when the people talked about, well, the smaller guys were always beating the bigger guys. Well, that's because me and Hoyce had more skills and nothing more. But if the, now you look at it now, do you really believe that a Hoist Gracie or my, well, myself, I'm a heavyweight, but Hoist Gracie could go in there and actually fight a guy um, who is like Brock Lesnar, who has all the skill sets in yeah. the world to be able to just crush him? It wouldn't be that way today because the skill sets are all similar. Not the same, but similar. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, strength. Uh, especially if your skill, even if you don't have as much skills, obviously, if your strength level and you guys have the same fighting technique, that makes a lot of sense. Um, how how did you transition into WWE, and was it? I'm I'm trying to like state this properly. I guess the best example is CM Punk was saying that when he was training for MMA, and regardless of how he ended up doing or anything like that, he was saying his hardest thing for him to learn training wise was to try to intentionally hurt someone with stuff that he knew to hold back, obviously, with professional wrestling. So was the opposite basically hard for the train? That's a bunch of of crap. That's an excuse. That's a big-time excuse. The guy got beat. He didn't do well. He had to blame it on something. I'm telling you, it doesn't work like that. That's like me getting in the ring and punching somebody in the face because I fought in 
in uh, this before. We trained long enough to have something not happen like that. He trained long enough to know what he was getting into. That's an excuse. Well, maybe it was a bad example. He was actually talking about, I think, before his actual fight, like one of the problems he was having with training. I was just asking you, when it came to being able to do professional wrestling, if it was an awkward transition going from mixed martial arts to wrestling. Well, it would have been if I would have went in the next week because I still had tendencies. But because I trained long enough to understand what I was getting into, by the time I got into the ring, I knew what I was doing. And you could do it the reverse way, too, where you're a pro wrestler and you're going to go in and fighting. You're not going to go in the next week. You're going to go in with months of training. And by the time you get in the ring, you already have your reflexes down. So you're not going to go in there and put a leg lock on somebody and, and not turn it because you're doing pro wrestling. It doesn't work like that. Your mind knows where you're at. You understand what you're doing. It would be more in the sense of a, of a real fighter going into a pro wrestling ring and turning over a punch on somebody, not thinking they're going to hit him, but the guy walks into him. That kind of stuff can happen where somebody mis, misdoes the uh, spacing. But when it comes to the real stuff and doing a transition from you know, the entertainment stuff into the real stuff, trust me, there is no mistake on pulling a punch. Absolutely. Um. I guess, yeah, it, it's more of like, you know, I'm getting a chance to talk to someone who obviously influenced a lot of MMA-based stuff. I think you and probably Suzuki, probably over in Japan, for his end, kind of influenced a lot of fighters later on to either, you know, use MMA in their practicing for professional wrestling or make transitions like Brock did from one way to the other. Obviously, Ronda is. I think that you were kind of a trendsetter on that. Um, I just kind of want to, from your personal perspective, they're both extremely tolling in your body, obviously. I've never done both. I'm just assuming from seeing what you guys have to go through. You know, with professional wrestling, you, you know, obviously it's a work, but you're on the road, you know, doing dark matches and stuff like that, like five to six uh, times a week. And, you know, with, a, with uh, MMA fighting, you get an octagon, you get in the ring and stuff like that. Both of you guys are going in bloodthirsty after each other. Uh, you know, we're – was it, was it not easier to go to professional wrestling, but how do you feel about both things compared to each other as far as having to train for them? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, you know, everybody's different. Like I said, sometimes you can, you know, like Brock Lesnar, he was so big and strong that he went into MMA and he was able to just overpower guys. He was just so big and he moved like a middleweight. So, you know, having that skill set, he was able to really transcend into that into that world of fighting pretty easily, not easily, but he was able to win some fights just because of his sure size and strength and his wrestling ability. Um, you know, he lost some fights because he didn't have the skill sets, you know, so he's about 500 or something like that, was able to capture a, a, a championship um, just by being able to wrestle guys, you know, because he was so big and he moved really well. So, but the sports changed today. I don't think he could do the same thing today. Um, so he needs to be very careful about that move that he's going to make uh, into the um, UFC because the world is different now. Now there's a lot of big guys that move well that are very skilled. Um, so, I, like I said, I've, for me personally, it was much difficult for me to go into pro wrestling and make that transition that it was for me to start out into the no-holes-barred world because I was good at it. I was able to knock guys out, finish them within two to three minutes. 
um, you know, in pro wrestling, I had to learn everything. I was a stuntman, an actor, and an athlete and wrestler all piled into one. I had to also be an, an actor, being able to cut promos and be able to carry this, this character who I was, which was really good because I got to play me. Um, so it was, it was hard because I had to give people my body for 15 minutes. I had to allow them to beat me up for 15 minutes. Whereas in, in the UFC or yeah. the no holes barred thing, I went in and I took care of business. Absolutely. Um, another role that you did in wrestling, I kind of want to ask you about is uh, you were a part of one of my favorite matches in WrestleMania 13, but you were the referee. Uh, I've heard Jim Ross, Bret Hart, Steve Austin, so many people say that you were monumental in that role for that match where they had the turn, the double turn. Um, can you tell me anything about refing for that match? Yeah, you know, I had mixed feelings going into that match um, because um, I watched Pat Patterson, Moondog Maine when I was a very young kid. I was, I was actually uh, in a juvenile hall facility, I, I, I believe it was. Uh, and I saw a match for the first time, and I remember watching those guys were bloody. And I was like, man, those dudes are bad, right? Well, as I got older, I started to understand a little bit more because it got softer. It wasn't, it wasn't the catch wrestling and stuff that we had in the earlier days where guys really were, seemed to me like they, were, they, they went after one another, you know. Uh, and then we got into that, that world of the pay-per-view and the Hulk Hogan dropping the leg and, and uh, you know, the giant being able to press people and doing the body slam on them and just all this stuff that you just kind of like, oh, man, that's just, that don't look right. I was going into this match with mixed feelings going, you know what, how am I going to sell this, me being who I am, if they're not going to hit each other? I mean, if they're not going to actually land these punches. And I remember I go into the match with this kind of mixed feeling. I was excited. I knew those guys could really put on good matches. And I tell you what, once that match started, I was like, dude, these dudes are kicking the crap out of each other. I mean, I was literally so into that match while I was refing it. I really thought I was refing an MMA fight because those guys did a tremendous job of being able to turn pro wrestling on its head, being able to say, we're done with the flipping the hair back and putting makeup on. We're, we're ass kickers now, and we're going to turn this into the attitude era. And, man, I'll tell you what, I, when, I, when I got done belly and belly and everybody and, and I just – feeling so satisfied how that match turned out. Yeah, it's an amazing classic. And Ken, your work, especially when they're uh, fighting in the audience, I mean, you keeping the people away from them and everything, it just looks so real, just added a level to it that I think all of us wrestling fans uh, love. Uh, going back into Brett, though, um, you know, you worked with him. You definitely worked with his brother, Owen, uh, the late great Owen Hart. Uh, you guys did the Lions of Matches. You also went to the Dungeon with Owen. And you meeting Stu Hart and knowing their background, being grappling submission uh, fighters, you know, the fact that out of your 28 wins, you've had 23 that were submission. You knowing Owen Hart and Bret Hart, basically, if they wanted to, do you think they could have translated it in the world of MMA based on their background? Oh, absolutely. I, I think uh, everybody has that ability. Uh, especially when you you know how the body works and the joint manipulations work. Even in pro wrestling, when you do those things, you still have to work, right? I mean, you still got to be able to do the moves and know they work. So for me, um, those guys, if they would have put some effort into it and put a few years of training into it, there's no question. I believe anybody has the ability to go do that. 
Very well said. Well, I'm going to hand it to my co-host, Christopher, and let him handle the rest of the interview. Hi, Ken. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. It's uh, exciting to talk to you. I'm a huge fan, have been for a long time. So, Well, well thank you. Um, I guess right off the bat, I, I've heard that you were trained by Buzz Sawyer, and uh, I wanted to kind of know what it was like being trained by Buzz Sawyer, and uh, do you have any funny training stories maybe you can share with us? Of course. Um, yeah, but, but Buzz was a unique individual. I think um, the times that I came to him, uh, I think he was having some problems um, uh, with, with going to Japan, coming back from Japan, you know, his, his personal life. I didn't know it at the time, but as I kind of sit back and I've kind of grown in my own, own little world, I kind, of, I kind of understand some of the things he was going through. He was getting a little bit older. He wasn't getting as many bookings. So he tried to start this wrestling school. My father found it. We were in Reno. We were traveling up, um, you know, to Sacramento to uh, do his school. Well, when we got to the school, there was no wrestling. There was no ring. There was no – they were doing it inside this gym where they had – inside a racquetball court, right? And he had wrestling mats down. And and so I remember for a few times we, we went up there Basically, what he was doing was he was bringing guys in and he was charging them fifteen hundred dollars, twenty five hundred. I don't know exactly how much, and he would bring these guys in. And some of them were ex football players, you know, ex wrestlers, uh, you know, collegiate wrestling, or some guys who just had jobs and they just wanted to be pro wrestlers. So every time I would go up there, it was like I believe it was every other weekend we'd go up there, and all I was doing was shooting on these guys. He told me which guys he wanted to pass, which guys he didn't want to pass. And I remember he had two of these big dudes. One of them was called the Two Horsemen or something like that. Both of them were ex-football players. Went around 260, muscle-bound. And I probably weighed about 220 pounds at the time. But I was always strong. I wrestled. I was in tough mans. And, you know, so I was pretty, pretty much a fighter. So he told me, okay, I want you to, to blow those guys up. Make sure that they don't pass. And so, okay. So I took one guy down and I rolled over on him and just kept, you know, pushing him and pushing him, telling him to get up take him back down, tell him to get up. And I told him, you know, listen, do whatever you want. Choke me, do what you want, but you've got to keep fighting. Well, probably two, maybe two minutes in, this guy's done. He's puking. And I said, you can't go on. He goes, no, I'm done. I can't go. So, so I, we were supposed to go 20 minutes, right? So I said, okay. And then the next guy came in. And so I may wore him out in 30 seconds. I mean, this dude was done in 30 seconds. So they were all like, I just know what we expected, man. We, we didn't get in shape for this and all this. And I said, it ain't my problem. Talk to him. So what he would do is just have me shoot on guys, make them quit, and he'd take their money. And that's all we did. We, we did a few bumps here and there. We were never in a ring, ever in a ring. And we, I was there six months. So that's when we actually made a change to my father started looking other ways. We found a place in Mooresville, North Carolina with Nelson Royal. And uh, so I went up there and did a tryout. Um, they wore me out for like two, three hours then they had the shooter, which was what I was with Buzz, right? Except there was no pro wrestling there. Um, and so I go, well, you guys are going to try to wear me out and take my money? Because that's what I thought was they were wearing me out, having me running these dirt clods, you know, all these clotted area when it was a big old field that was all clots, having a sprint in there, and it was really dangerous for your ankles. And then had us run around in a circle on this big cattle area for, for a, a three-mile run. And, um, and then push-ups and sit-ups and all these things to try to, you know, make us tired. And then they had this shooter who was about 240 pounds. And he wasn't, like, in buffering. He was, kind of looked soft to me. And he put him in a ring, and he started wearing these guys out. And most of the guys, they just didn't pass. 
Well, then when I got in there, this dude shot on me and I stuffed him, right? And so he didn't shot on me again. I stuffed him again. And next thing you know, I was beating his ass. So, so it's, okay, I guess he passed. So and it wasn't six months after that I was carrying the strap. That's an awesome story. Uh, man, thanks for that. That really made my night. Yeah. Um, I know in the past that you've talked about getting back into professional wrestling and never really have seemed closed off to the idea. Whenever I've heard an interview interview with you and it gets brought up, you always seem kind of open to the idea and you seem like you're just looking for the right moment and the right kind of landscape and, and, you know, I guess, you know, scheduling, um, all that stuff. Um, With New Japan gaining gaining traction here in America, uh, specifically with some stuff they've been doing out in California, would you ever think about potentially having some matches, uh, you know, if the door was ever open there in New Japan um, with some of the, like more of the stronger style wrestling, I guess, as they call it? Yeah, I'd have to really look into it. I really have to see whether or not, uh, you know, it was going to work for me because um, I've got a lot of stuff that's happening right now and it, there's no, there's no history there. You know, if there's a guy like Suzuki there or, or something like that, then, yeah, that would be interesting. That would be fun to be able to go there and do something like that, but not just to, like, start a new career. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm past that. Um, just like with uh, WWE, uh, there's a history there, and there's things that are unfinished. Um, I would definitely go there for certain matches to be able to kind of close some doors. But I'm not looking to start a new career. I mean, I've got a lot of stuff going on right now that, I'm very excited about in the next probably six months to a year, people will start seeing what it is I'm doing. And what I've worked on the last two to three years, uh, we will launch that. And I think that that's going to take over market shares to a lot of things that are happening in the world of MMA or mixed martial arts. And uh, we're excited about it. And I think that um, once we get going, um, there won't be time for that. So if these, anybody's out there and interested in me getting involved, uh, those things have to happen soon. Um, because I would never stop anything that I started. So if these things do take off, I would not stop what I'd already started to to um, continue with what I'm doing. Um, and and especially if it came to the WWE where there's unfinished business with The Rock, there's unfinished business with, um, I believe, Kurt Angle. And I believe that there was some unfinished business, um, starting unfinished business with Brock Lesnar, considering uh, you know he was one that crossed over and, he may, he did kind of a a, a successful uh, uh, crossover, and so I thought that that match would be very interesting to fans to see who was the best. Um, so th- those things right there are definitely interesting to me because I'm not doing matches or looking for matches to build my career or to hang on to something that has been gone for a while. I'm looking at things that are going to help close doors be able to have a finish to them. And especially I think for the fans. And I think that's a great response. And when I was talking about new Japan, uh, Suzuki definitely came to mind because uh, he's currently working over there. And I think seeing one match between you guys would be phenomenal. Um, especially considering some of the interviews you've had in the past talking about uh, your first trip over to Japan with Suzuki and, and, and uh, that, that uh, stuff. But, yeah, I yeah, think, you know, I, like I, I said, that's 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 all business. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I would love to have a match with City, whether it was a shoot or whether it was, you know, rough style. It doesn't matter to me because I really believe in that in that sense. Um, because of the things that were said, Suzuki has a right to respond to that, and I think that 
Um, if that meant like going in and fighting to put a rest to it, then so be it. But if it's more of the hard style in, in pro wrestling, well, then we'll work that out and see how we can make that work for everyone. Yeah, I think I think it's just a straight mat like wrestling match when you guys would be phenomenal. And I think the fans would really, really dig it, both Japanese fans and American fans, um, in a big sense. But I guess moving on, um, just really quick with uh, all the mixed martial arts hybrid pro wrestling styles that seem so prevalent right now in WWE with not even just Ronda Rousey, but a lot of uh, just all, all the more joint manipulation, definitely going down to the ground more often, even in the female division. Um, to me, you were the first person, or at least to me, you were the first person I ever saw really implement that. And uh, I guess just asking, um, do you think that it was a good idea for them to move closer to more of, I guess, a shoot style in the ring? And, um, was that something when you were doing your training originally for wrestling uh, that that you came up with? Like it was your idea to actually incorporate more of that mixed martial arts style, or was it a bug put in your ear, or did you come up with basically uh, you know what you wanted to do in the ring and your move set? Um, definitely well, in think, the earlier years. I think it was a combination of both. I think when Vince came in and wanted me to be the world's most dangerous man, wanted me to be me, uh, I understood that's what he wanted. But then I needed help for people like Bret Hart to explain to me, you know, how do I, how do I do what I do, you know? And um, so being able to go in a ring and be able to work with a guy like Vader who also had experience in the world of MMA uh, and being able to have a rough match, being able to go in there and just kind of let loose a little bit and not have anybody, you know, start complaining because I was too stiff. Um so it was. I think that the way that they led that out, they, they allowed me to kind of be me, and then kind of work into um, the pro wrestling style. Um, so it was. It was a kind of a combination of both. I, I needed help. I needed people to help me understand. Like, hey, I know who I am. I know what I can do. But how do I incorporate that in this? I know I can do a sunset flip and into a knee bar. I can do all those things. But how do I get people to trust me when I do it? And so that, I think that was what what really had to set in after a few matches is to, for people to understand that, hey, you know, I'm going after you with my submission holds, but I'm not going to break your bones. Great. Uh, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm going to pass you back to uh, Dane, and uh, he's going to get you wrapped up. So, all right, Dane, here you go. Man, the concept of you and Suzuki or you and uh, Kurt Angle – would be incredible either way. But uh, thank you so much for joining us, Ken. We'd love to have you back in the future. Uh, before we go, just want to do two things. First, uh, did you want to plug any events or anything with your gym or anything like that going on? No, I know I'm going to be going to Canada. I have a bunch of dates that I'm going to be in different places, but, um, uh, you know, that's going to be when I actually start plugging it. So, But, uh, no, just go to my website, kenshamrock.com. I have all my social media sites on there, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everything's on there. And uh, you'll be able to follow what it is I'm doing every month. Absolutely. Sounds good, guys. So definitely check that out. And before you go, if we could get a drop from you. Sure. Okay. If you want to just say it in this type of format, like, hey, I'm Ken Shamrock, and you're listening to Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Any way you want to do it, though. Sure. Let me know when. Okay, you're good. 
Hey, I'm Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. No holes barred, champion. That's right, bare knuckle, no rules. That's my king. You're listening to the Geek. What was it? Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Wrestling Geeks Alliance. You guys can cut that, right? Absolutely. That's fine. Well, thank you so much, sir, for taking time out of your day. I'm glad we were finally able to get this interview going. And uh, let us know in the future if you want to come back on and plug anything, okay? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ken. It was an honor. Hey, thank you, guys. Thanks. Oh, that was Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man, one of the biggest legends in MMA and UFC history, and a legend in professional wrestling. Uh, me and Christopher both have said, I mean, really, Chris, if you look at it, the MMA style was incorporated from Ken Shamrock on. I mean, just even bringing a little more back with the Greco-Roman style of wrestling on the mat, Yes, the Hearts definitely did it, and there were different people that were much more technical-based. But he was before Kurt, man, Uh, so he kind of paved the way, like we said, to so many of the other people that have used that style now, and also, you know, wrestlers that are making that transition, like Ronda Rousey, like Shayna Baszler, uh, like all these guys. So that was amazing to talk to him. Did you enjoy our conversation with the world's most dangerous man? I really enjoyed it. Uh, I had never heard him talk about Buzz Sawyer uh, so that was that alone was kind of a tad bit of history that maybe I just haven't uh, heard all of the interviews, but that was uh, really cool to hear him talk about that Buzz Sawyer story and kind of how his wrestling training started out, uh, just shooting on guys to to break them basically. Um, that was awesome, and I mean he's just a great guy to talk to overall. I'm so glad we were able to get him on the show, and definitely I, I think uh, you know with the exception of maybe Dan Severn, I and, and I definitely saw Ken Shamrock before Dan Severn. Um, I, I didn't see anyone else incorporating that stuff. And that goes back to, uh, you know, even my love for the uh, late seventies and early eighties. And there was guys doing Greco Roman and face locks and, uh, you know, things like that, but you didn't really see like lead bars and arm bars and, uh, Kimura locks and you know, way more intricate submissions and just holds. And I think he, you know, he paved the way for a lot of wrestlers, um, as far as, starting to incorporate that. And I think it's showing through even more now, um, definitely in the UK uh, with people like Pete Dunne and Tyler Bates. And then uh, a lot of the female wrestling now is, uh, you know, escaping from one submission into another submission that are all legit submission holds. So yeah, it was great talking to him. Very, very interesting. Uh, Great guy. I would love to have him back on the show. There's so much, there's so many other questions I actually had for him, but uh, he he told such great stories, especially about the uh, beginning of his career. And it was, you know, it was great to hear him comment on Minoru Suzuki and the fact that he's open for both a shoot and a uh, normal match. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Or him and Kurt Angle, and and just talking about like God. he doesn't really he he doesn't need wrestling, but he would like to do it for the fans. Like if if an opportunity came up where he could wrestle Kurt Angle or, or wrestle Suzuki or wrestle The Rock, which I think if you're a wrestling fan from the time period where he won King of the Ring and and was part of the Sean and Brett, or not Sean and Brett, but the uh, Brett and Austin double turn match that you guys talked about, um, that would be phenomenal. I think fans would really love that, especially, you know, like I said, if you were a fan during that time period. It meant a lot to the wrestling world. Um, I think it was a very big deal. Uh, WWE kind of, you know, 
for a while there, tried to replace him with other people that were never going to be Ken Shamrock. Uh, so, like, not to crap on Steve Blackman or anything, but, you know, you definitely had, like, your Steve Blackmans or your Tank Abbots of the world, and, and that's definitely not fucking Ken Shamrock. So, uh, wonderful Wolvers. to talk to him, man. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, it was awesome. And, I mean, now, like, if you think about it, like, you even see, you know, with the growth of UFC, obviously, some of that is there. But Ken Shamrock was definitely the first person I ever saw do it. And now you even, I mean, you got to the point where even Undertaker's locking on a triangle choke, you know? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I man. think that he was very influential. Yeah, dude. I, I, the, the idea of him and Kurt Angle, even now, because I always wanted to see that back in the day, but it's like he made his exit right when Kurt was coming in. But it seemed like two guys that were trained, you know, a very similar way, obviously, differences between both. They would have such an amazing epic technical match. And, you know, yeah, you, you're right, though. Like, there's not a lot of people that are, like, trained specifically for martial arts and stuff like that. Like, the only people I can think of for technical wrestling standpoint is, like, I guess Stu Hart, obviously, what he gave to his kids, and maybe Billy Robinson in, in Britain. Obviously, Zack Sabre Jr. is a big fan of his, of joint manipulation and stuff like that. But no one, to the level, it's basically, I mean, I'm trying to think. Well, Danny Hodge, he was a boxer. He was a – but that's different. I'm, the way I'm trying to like – because bring it to the mat, basically using stuff that you would do in a normal MMA fight or, you know, bare-knuckle uh, brawl or whatever, what you do in normal fighting and incorporating that style, whether it be martial arts-based or wrestling-based and actual professional wrestling, I think a lot of that has to be with Ken Shermock. So, yeah, great interview. Really enjoy talking with him. Definitely want to talk to him again. Um, I kind of want to see him go against CM Punk now in, in the cage, honestly. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't mean to, to, to ruffle any feathers or anything like that. I was trying to use an example, but I guess it was a very poor example. And, uh, you know, I, I think that Ken would know about that type of stuff way before me. So thanks, Ken, for coming on. We enjoyed having you. We're going to get to our regular style programming, if you will, now after that interview. And uh, talk a little bit about something I'd like to call all – in now wrestling community out there uh geek vibes nation um all of you guys if you don't know what all in is please research um you know me and chris i think that by now our fans know that we're kind of we out branched from wwe and there's a lot of good stuff out there and this is going to be an accumulation i think that has a lot of potential with it all right so if you guys don't know what all in is i'll give you a rundown basically cody rhodes the Young Bucks, answered a, not a challenge really, someone basically asked Dave Metzler in a Q&A, I think over Reddit, maybe it was over Twitter, if anyone, um, or if Ring of, Ring of Honor specifically could sell out 10,000 seats, and he said no. Uh, the last time that's happened was WCW. Uh, you know, TNA, I think they were going over it with Matt Morgan on one of the shows I listened to, and Matt Morgan didn't even realize that TNA, even while he was there, when it was at its, its biggest you know, amount of popularity, I think it was like 7.8 thousand seats was what they were able to accumulate max. So this was a huge feat for anyone to do, let alone Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks, who are amazing with their T-shirt sales and everything, their promotional stuff, uh, the Young Bucks and in the, in their YouTube videos and stuff like that being the elite Everything they've done has been extremely intelligent and thought out, and they went big. They said, screw it. We're going to take that as a challenge personally. 
We're going to get an arena. They ended up doing it in Chicago. They did not think that tickets, when they went on sale, they were sold out in 35 minutes. That is insane. This is a house that's actually feasibly able to, you know, be a WWE house. And that's awesome for not an indie promotion, but indie promoters, if you will, with them to be able to get this going. And they had a press conference before this, and they were definitely all in, if you will, themselves when they're at this press conference. And I was really excited. The main details, um, Cody came out first. He had an amazing speech talking about the potential of all in. And then he brought out Billy Corgan, uh, the head of the NWA. He owns it now. Yes, the guy from the Smashing Pumpkins owns the NWA. If you didn't know that, actually check out some of the matches on um, on YouTube. Uh, they're all on YouTube. Uh, Nick Aldis right now is champ, uh, XTNA wrestler, great guy in the ring. He's gonna he's had some awesome matches with Tommy Dreamer, Cole Cabana, even uh, James Ellsworth, and uh, you know has just been on fire. Well, if he makes it now to the event in September in Chicago in front of ten thousand people. He'll be going against Cody Rhodes himself, whose father definitely held that belt for a long time. Um, and we'll be going against Cody for the NWA championship. So along with that, and then Tessa Blanchard, um, who we know is uh, the daughter of Tully Blanchard. Uh, her, da- her godfather, I should say, is Megan T.A. Uh, she is wrestling, te- wrestling royalty. Chris, now that I'm going to pass it to you, we'll talk specifically about the press conference, and we'll go into more details about the people involved and what we think the matches will go. But with the press conference, I got the sense that, you know, this is before things sold out in 35 minutes, um, that there is a communication between certain people, and I feel a body, not the NWA, I'm not going to say it like that, but just having Billy Corrigan and Cody Rhodes, and knowing that Don Callis has a good relationship with them, and, you know, everyone over in Ring of Honor has a good relationship with them, and New Japan with Gato, and, you know, Delirious in Ring of Honor, and all the all the bookers and stuff like that. Everything that's been thrown out, the fact they were able to do this, I'm going to ask you two questions. Could this be Indies, you know, and they said they're going to do it again, so this is going to keep on going. Could this be the independent wrestling's answer to WrestleMania going forward? And could we possibly see not an NWA, but some type of wrestling alliance outside of stuff for competition with the WWE working together? Well, I, I, to, to answer your question first, when we, we talked about this a while back, and I said if this thing worked – and they actually made money on it. That's the big key. I don't know what the contract situation looks like. I don't know what the profit scheme is going to look like at the end of it. But if everyone makes money off this thing, and you have someone like Billy Corgan who already tried to buy TNA or actually did buy TNA at one point in time, I believe, um, minus that lawsuit. I don't know how that whole shebang worked out, but he was a partial owner. When you have someone that has that much money that could possibly get a conglomerate together – maybe of people like, you know, a Rick Rubin who owned Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Um, and then you look at something like Pop TV where you have a situation with TNA that's not going so well, which we'll talk about later. Uh, if you can get TV time and you can put on a consistent 
maybe not once a week, but a bi-weekly or something or a mixture of these guys' matches. If you can work that into a contract with New Japan and Ring of Honor, I think you could definitely see the start of a federation. Um, and the, the federation will be built around Cody, Kenny, and, you know, Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. And, I, you know, I think they were the major draw for this. There's a lot of people on this card. I think it's cool they're doing a fan festival beforehand. They got a lot of big names. You got Kevin Nash, you got Jeff Jarrett, you got uh, Jay Lethal. You got all these people going to show up and just, like, sign autographs for fans. I think all of that is really impressive. Um, and if they can all go out there and put on the matches that each of these people are capable of putting on, and it doesn't get too PWG or Shikara, you know, if they take it more seriously, like a Ring of Honor or a New Japan-style wrestling format, I, I think there is a uh, room there where you have the name NWA that Billy Corgan owns that you could you could definitely do something. Not to challenge WWE, to, to definitely challenge a Ring of Honor and be another um, mid-brand that can have a really big show if they're able to bring these guys in consistently. Uh, which is, you know, the big thing there is the contracts, obviously. Um, so I'm not saying that they're like tomorrow that they're going to start their own federation up and leave, you know, the contracts they have with Ring of Honor in New Japan because I think they have a pretty sweet gig right now, especially like the Young Bucks and, and Cody Rhodes and, and Marty Scroll and all those guys. But there's definitely room there. Um, there's definitely something special you could do there. Uh, I think it would hurt Ring of Honor more than it would hurt New Japan, more than likely. So that would be the weird thing uh, with, you know, the wrestling talent that they have on the show. But to answer your question, yeah. I mean, if this thing makes everybody money, uh, when everyone said it couldn't be done, you can point to it and you just point to those, like I said, the, the, the four people that I named, Cody Rhodes, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks. And then I, I guess slightly there, you know, Marty Scroll. Uh, if you can point to those names and be like, okay, well, the current Bullet Club made this happen, basically. Um, you definitely have something there that's interesting, and, and that's the hard part. Uh, right now, you know, Cody and Kenny are hot. Um, the Young Bucks are, are, have always been fan favorites, at least in the indie community. There's a lot of really cool stuff you could do there. As far as uh, the press conference went, I thought it was very interesting um, to see the NWA champion and Billy Corrigan and the fact they're going to do this NWA title match, which, you know, I haven't seen. I'm assuming this will be a pay-per-view of some sort, which will be probably the major source of income. It'll be streaming somewhere. Um, that's kind of nuts to think about, that you could have Cody Rhodes in 2018 as the NWA champion. Um, and if he becomes the NWA champion, does that mean that this is going, the actual push is going to be with Ring of Honor? Because Ring of Honor is also doing a bunch of stuff with New Japan coming up. They're doing, uh, I guess, it's War of the Worlds. I can't, can't remember the title exactly, but they do it every year with New Japan. And then what that leads me to believe is maybe you get more into the market of this is how New Japan breaks into the United States market, where you start seeing the New Japan U.S. title defended in the United States on Ring of Honor events, and you get more transparency between those two which I think is, is probably more realistic than them splitting off and doing their own thing. But, uh, yeah, the press conference is very interesting. The event itself selling out uh, 10,000, 
you know, in 35 minutes is nuts. Uh, similar to when New Japan came to California and sold out those arenas in, in a very similar way. I think the big thing here and the thing that I've seen, you know, Meltzler and Brian Alvarez and uh, Wade Keller talking about is the fact that these tickets actually went to fans. So if you go try to scalp one of these tickets, there are not very many out there. I guess scalpers kind of slept on it. So when you say it sold 10,000 tickets, it sold 10,000 tickets to people that are actually wrestling fans. Like the percentage of actual scalpers that picked up these tickets, um, you know, people that buy 10 tickets at a time or 20 tickets at a time or whatever under multiple accounts like we have here in Atlanta, which is a nightmare, by the way, um, didn't happen for this event. So they actually had 10,000 fans. Originally, people said that they were crazy. They said they wouldn't be able to do it without a, a Daniel Bryan or a CM Punk. I think I was kind of on a little bit on that level, but I didn't expect Cody Rhodes to get as big as he has with his current character. Um, and I also didn't know if they could get Kenny Omega, which they did. And I think that was the game changer with Kenny Omega's recent rise in popularity. So just overall, it's kind of a crazy thing to even think about. But 10,000... 10,000 seat arena, man. That's, you know, Madison Square Garden size. Like, you could easily, where WWE used to film. Um, so, you could even do something crazy like that. Uh, does it do anything? I mean, could this be their, like, Starcade? I think yes. I don't think you ever do it the same weekend as WrestleMania, just because there's so many other indie events running uh, with the way WrestleMania is laid out. The fact that WrestleMania is such a spectacle in general. Um, but it is very promising, and it is cool to see that wrestling fans are the ones that are super behind this, it seems like. So very exciting stuff. Uh, I mean, did you have any other thoughts? Oh, I have plenty of stuff that we definitely want to go over. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that the audience is all in. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to say, so one of the things I notice is that if we look at this and I, I, I said this to you is the amount of, um, champions that are going to be involved in this, uh, you know, with Kazusuke Okada, uh, you know, even, all right, so we got to think ahead. Even if Kenny Omega beats Okada for the title at Dominion, Kenny's going to be there anyways. Okada's going to be there. So that's one title. Cody's going against whoever is the NWA champion, whether it be Nick Aldis or if he loses to whoever, that championship is displayed there. I don't know... I don't think necessarily the IWGP championship is going to be on the line at there, but the fact the champion is going to be there. Then you have Pentagon, who currently is the Impact champion. I don't know if I should really go further into that. Let me just put it that way. But he's also the Lucha Underground champion. He's going to be involved in it. I mean, you have – and then obviously the Young Bucks with their multiple tag team championships across promotions. This is incredible. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, yeah – Dalton Castle is obviously the Ring of Honor champion. He's not going to be there. I'm thinking that there might be not a partnership, but an okay with Ring of Honor New Japan that even if something progresses out of this, they'll be involved in some type of way is what I'm guessing because there's so many talents that are involved in their product, including the guys that are you know making this. Uh, but, yeah, those, the, that type of championship, it, it's crazy that all these various indie promotions – their champions are going to be displayed here, and one of the biggest titles, even if you know it's, it's fallen a little bit from grace, the NWA champion is going to be one of the main things. Um, with that being said, do you think Cody's going to win? Since it's the only match that we know of 100%, do 
regardless of who has the title, do you think that Cody's going to win the NWA championship at all in? I think it's a very good chance that he does win the NWA championship and defends it on Ring of Honor, and you get a weird merger necessarily, but you get Aldis on Ring of Honor because Aldis can go in Ring of Honor and and make an impact there. Um, So I don't think it's far-fetched for Cody to win the NWA title. Um, The only way I could see him losing is if they set up a feud in New Japan or in Ring of Honor going into it. Uh, where it would make sense to screw him out of the title, but I don't think they're going to do that on this show. This seems like it's going to be a very straight wrestling show, and it's Cody's thing. I think there's a very, very good chance that that Cody might raise that NWA belt. Yeah, I just think it's it's pretty amazing, uh, you know, given the fact. You know, let's let's talk about the talent that's going to be there. Also, this is this is definitely. Uh, Pretty big deal. Now, obviously, we know Bullet Club for the most part between Adam Page, um, Marty Skrull, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, um, Cody, obviously. He's, they're all going to be there. Uh, then we have Ada coming in. We got Pentagon Jr. and his brother Ray Phoenix. Huh, two brothers that are pretty damn good high flyers. I wonder who they could potentially go against if they wanted to tag together. Um, Tessa Blanchard. And the Arrow himself, Stephen Amell. And then also uh, recently, Chelsea Green has said she's going to be a part of it. Bad boy Joey Janela. Um, just a lot of great people. Um, how do you feel about, so far, the lineup, Chris? And do you see potential of other certain wrestlers? Or who would you like to see also added in to All In? Well, I think, I mean, I think Dalton Castle should probably be there in some form or format if he hasn't already. I, I know that they said Jay Lethal, but he just recently got injured, so I'm not sure how that's going to play out. Um, he just took a concussion at one of Ring of Honor's last events. Um, oh, I think seeing, like, Beer City Bruiser would be cool. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of – there's just a ton of people, but they already have, like, a roster. I think we went over the roster a couple weeks ago. It's, like, 20 or almost 25 deep at this point. So, I mean, they're definitely – I mean, not to keep saying all in, but they're definitely pulling all of the indie talent they could think of. I mean, outside of, like, someone like Keith Lee, who I don't think would be able to be a part of this at this point. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah, man, I, I – you know, he would be awesome to see uh, – God, dude, I don't, I don't know right off the hand without looking at who's already going to be there because I think I think Marty Scroll's already been announced, right? Yeah, yeah, Marty's so, definitely going to be there. There's two people in general I'll throw out at you. Uh, one of them is the belt collector who might have a certain title also. Uh, Austin Aries, who's been huge in the indie scene right now, going, he's going to be going in Ring of Honor while he has Impact Championships uh, to go for the TV title soon. I think it's like, I think it's next month. I'm not 100% sure. Not only him, our good friend, our first interview, uh, Mr. John Morrison, who's been all over the place as well, would be two guys. If we could – now, this is a complete dream match, and I don't think it's going to happen, guys. But, man, if we can get John Morrison against Kenny Omega, holy – I just – I lost it. And I already know all the great names involved in this. Uh, do you think there's potential for either one of those guys making an appearance? I mean, yeah, definitely. I could see either of those guys being part of it. And not to pull up, like, a conspiracy card, but when you talk about uh, all-in and you start talking about – 
the fact that Billy Corgan's going to be there. This thing is in Chicago. So <laughs> that is uh, the hometown of Billy Corgan for you guys that don't know. Um, man, this event's going to be crazy. It's it's definitely the craziest conglomerate of wrestling I've seen as far as direct people that people know outside of WWE in a long time. And I know, like, isn't Rey Mysterio has been listed as all in as well. So, like, it's going to be kind of nuts to see what they end up doing with this. Uh, man, but yeah, the, the, all the guys you named would, would be awesome. It's, I want to see how the matches play out. And hopefully we don't end up with a bunch of three-way tags. And it'll be interesting to see what they do. But this entire event's crazy. Even from this fan fest they're doing starting on Thursday, where I think, like, Marty Scroll is doing karaoke with fans. Yeah. Um, they're really doing it well, there's one. like it was a like it was a WrestleMania. Um, so it's, it's really cool. The whole thing is cool. Yeah. I think I found a more accurate list. So we have Kenny Omega, Okada, Cody Rhodes, the Bucks, Marty Skrull, Adam Page, Tessa Blanchard, Stephen Amell, Pentagon Jr., Phoenix, Diana Perrazzo, Joey Janela, Penelope Ford, Chelsea Green, Jay Lethal, Britt Baker, and, uh, not Flip Gordon. I just wanted to mention that. At the press conference, <laughs> Cody said that, and was followed by later on Adam, Adam Page and Marty Skrull destroying Flip Gordon because he was disguised as a press guy. Um, so I, I'm, I'm assuming, guys, since that happened, Flip Gordon might be there. I'm not 100% sure on that, but uh kind of looks that way at least. Man, we just – there's so many potential amazing matches out here. And then – you know, you were talking about the uh, the fan access. There's going to be a guy there uh, that has been confirmed, and he was uh, brought up at the uh, press conference. Um, he's from Chicago. Uh, I think we talked about him earlier, Chris. Mr. CM Punk. Um, good friends with the Young Bucks. Good friends with Cody. Uh, known Cody for years. Um Big supporter of theirs. He's going to be at the fan access. It's in his hometown. I don't think he's going to be in a match, Chris. Obviously, especially even if he loses his UFC fight, he's still going to be under contract. So probably by then he wouldn't be able to wrestle anyways. I'm not asking that. Do you think that he's going to make an appearance? And possibly could it be the, I forgot what he's called, but the drug-free bear that keeps on coming out with Cody Maybe we can see him punk in there. Maybe he screws over Cody for the NWA title or something. Do you think there might be some added element involving CM Punk? I think that's a good possibility if you don't want to switch the NWA title to Cody. I mean, it's just cool that he's going to be there in general, knowing that he hasn't done a lot of wrestling stuff. Um, and I mean, like, it's not just like guys like, you know, it's great that CM Punk's going to be there, but they have like Jerry. Lawler and Terry Funk are going to review, just basically talk over their empty arena match, like a retrospective <laughs> during one of these events. <laughs> like this whole thing is That's just awesome. kind of nuts. Like they have, they have, uh, you know, X-Pac doing his podcast there with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Uh, you have, you know, Conan, Disco and Hurricane doing their podcast. You have the, the death of WW or death of WCW, which is going to have like Brian Alvarez and, Dave Meltzer, and then a bunch of WCW superstars. Like, this entire thing and the way that they're building it is about as perfect as you could want for this kind of event. And uh, all props to 
to Cody and the Young Bucks for taking this taking this on. Um, it's really really crazy. I do you know do you know who's doing the uh, commentary for it? Have they announced that yet? Like, did they go out and ask like Jr. and freaking King to do it or something? Uh, but they, no, they haven't. And and I'll be interested to see. I, I would assume maybe a Don Callis would be there, yeah, and, and possibly a Jr. I would assume Jr. and Don Callis would be the two that they go after. That would uh, be a fun two to to for them to go back and forth off of. I think those are two of my favorite commentators I, of all time, honestly. I think that would be really fun, but you know they haven't even announced where this thing where you're going to be able to watch this thing at. But I, I'm hundred percent sure that yeah. something will pick up online where you can watch this, whether it's on Ring of Honor's website or New Japan's website or just some kind of paid streaming service, which, which hopefully works really well because um, Ring of Honor used to do theirs through, you know, outside of their own website. They had a different streaming service that you would have to pay for. Um, but there's definitely going to be some way for fans to watch this thing, especially make it as, uh, as big as it is. Um, so, I mean, they're going to have announcers. I'm, I'm going to assume that it's going to be you know, legends of some sort. I, if I had a personal preference, I think it'd be really cool to see like a Joey Styles maybe with like a Don oh, Callis, wow. like something like a one-off would be really, really fun. I don't know if he still works. I think he might still work for WWE, so that may be far-fetched, but um, it would be cool to see King and JR do a match. Um, I mean, if you really want to dig in your bag of tricks, Tony Schiavone is going to be there for the uh, event. Maybe have Tony Schiavone do a, like the NWA oh, title match. Oh my God, I love that. Like, there's lots of really cool stuff. They can switch out commentators as long as all the people are good. And, I mean, Tony Schiavone, you could get Tony Schiavone and Mike Tanay doing the NWA title match, which would be really, really cool. Like, all of those guys have open contracts. There's tons of really cool things you can do there. The main thing for me is, like, the stream needs to work. It can't be, like, cutting off midway through when I'm trying to watch this thing, or I will lose my shit and probably break something. But outside of that, um, there's tons of stuff that would be really, really fun. Yeah, I just can't believe it. I guess the last question is, um, who are we going to see uh, Rey Mysterio go against? You know, I, I said John Morrison, you know, he's not confirmed or anything like that. But there's something to be said about someone the caliber of Kenny Omega not having anyone chosen to go against and the fact that he could probably have an extremely amazing match with a Rey Mysterio Jr. They're both two big names. I don't think he's going against Okada. I don't know who else you really put Ray with. I'm sure there's plenty of people, but who do you think Ray could go against, and would you possibly like to see him go against Kenny Omega? I mean, I'll give you – I mean, my, my top three would be, uh, you know, Omega, Okada, and then maybe underneath that someone like a uh, Marty Scroll would be cool. Um, mm-hmm. Throw him in a tag match, depending on his partner against the Young Bucks. That could be fun. Um, there's a, there's oh. a ton of different stuff, but I mean, a top tier would be, I, I mean, I would love to see him go against Omega. Like that would be really, really fun. I think they would have an awesome match. What about, here's a question. Now you can just have this in one match. I don't think they're going to do this, Chris. What about the elite versus Omega and, uh, the, the Lucha brothers, um, Ray and, uh, whatchamacallit, Pentagon. You definitely could. I, you definitely could see something like that. You could also just see Rey Mysterio in a three-way match with those guys, which would be very, very cool, and just be a straight lucha match, which would be really interesting. I'm down so, for I mean, anything. I don't even care. 
if you let Rey Mysterio train Stephen Amell for the next couple of months and they put on a match, fuck it, I don't really care. Rey Mysterio could play. He could have a match with a pillow and make it interesting. Um, and honestly, I am looking forward to Stephen Amell out there. I don't think he's gonna have a match with Rey Mysterio. That was a joke. But the fact of how, I mean, how dedicated he is. We already know if you're a big fan of the television show. Um, how dedicated he is on there. He wants to do a majority of his own stunts. He practices daily. He can actually literally go up in the air and jump and hit a bullseye with an arrow. I've seen him do it. He's done uh, Ninja Warrior. He trained for WWE to go against with Neville to go against people. Um, and then also he was amazing doing springboards and, and different types of stuff with the Young Bucks and Cody at Ring of Honor. So he's another person I'm, I'm actually uh, very – Excited to see what the hell he has. I, I can't wait to find out these matches, Chris, is what I'm trying to say. Um, he also looks a lot like Adam Page. I'm just saying. They look like freaking twin brothers. Look at them. It's weird. Uh, but, yeah, man, I, I am all in. I, you know what? I'm going to say it right now. I'm, I'm assuming this is going to get televised. Like Chris said, they put it on a network. But if it doesn't happen this year, and this is a first try, and they nail it, if it's not televised, I'll be happy with what happens from the outcome of this. I think that there's a lot of potential. And I really think that, you know, maybe later on, cooler heads prevail, i.e. Triple H taking over for Vince fucking McMahon. Um, maybe this could be a good way for all the other federations to work together in some way to have a yearly event where they put their best guys forward um, in some type of fashion like that. I don't know. I have no clue what this is going to bring. All I know is these guys were able to do something that hasn't been done outside WWE since WCW, and they sold it out in 35 friggin' minutes online. They broke the internet at one point, for Christ's sakes. That's phenomenal. AJ style. Um, AJ style, <laughs> I should say. Um, but yeah, before, we, before I actually give the floor to Chris, uh, Chris, did you have any last words about All In? No, I mean, just congratulations to the, those guys. Um, I think it's completely awesome that the Young Bucks and Cody and Kenny were able to work on this thing, get it put together, promote it themselves. The wrestlers involved, even even some of the lesser-known people, well, I don't know Chelsea Green is lesser-known, but getting a lot of these people from all these different organizations together to be a part of this, to put on one hell of a show, and then build something really cool for the fans around it, it's just absolutely incredible and should be commended. Um, and for all the people that kind of want to see this thing fall on its face, uh, I'll go ahead and say, uh, you know, <laughs> buckle up, Buttercup. It's not going to happen. This thing is going to be massive. Um, so I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it. That's, I mean, that's really my closing statements. I think it'd be really cool to see Cody raise the NWA championship, but I think Dusty did it, what, three times? So it'd be cool to see Cody do it once. Uh, just as a fan of wrestling, I think, you know, the Rhodes name needs to be etched on the title one more time. Hopefully they don't just put Cody on it. Maybe say spell Rhodes with an A <laughs> or something. Or like an asterisk. I know, like, man. But, uh, yeah, how I think it's awesome. Before I give it to you, actually, how messed up is it that Cody Rhodes might win the NWA title and he can't go by Cody Rhodes? It's, I mean, it's it's fucked up. And, like, you know, in the end, WWE is probably going to regret it because I think he is getting bigger and bigger and has developed his character in a manner where soon be challenging probably for the New Japan title at some point. 
and they're really going to regret that decision. And if I was him, I'd be like, I'm never signing a contract with you guys unless I get my fucking name back, which is just a weird thing for them to be able to own anyways. So um, I think when you're young, you kind of get tricked into stuff, and I think that's something he got tricked into a little bit as far as them owning the naming rights to Cody Rhodes, which is ridiculous. Like, there has to be some kind of Prince loophole to that shit. Where you can like change your name and do whatever the fuck you want. Like like I said, if I was him, I'd change my name to Cody Rhodes with an A and it'd just be R O A D S. <laughs> and just go by Cody Rhodes still as a fuck you, because that's what Prince would do. Just hire really good lawyers. He should have a lot of money. All right, actually. I'm sorry, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. All right, well I got some um some breaking news, man, uh for the whole entire WWE uh, T V deal. Um, according to Hollywood Reporter's Matthew Baloney, uh, NBC Universal will be keeping Raw, but will be letting SmackDown Live go to another network. The deal to keep Raw with NBC is also reportedly three times higher than the current value. Um, wow. So they're keeping Raw, but the big deal is so big, it's three times the value, and they're not re-signing both. Uh, big sports opportunity for another network, Chris. Huh? Yes, and I think a lot of this is when you look around at uh, like NBA and NHL, and you see that WWE in the first round of the playoffs was still murdering them in ratings. Not murdering them, but beating them, which is bad for playoff television. And those, those conglomerates, the NBA and the NHL, cost a lot more to produce. And as far as money-wise goes... Uh, they cost a lot more produced, a lot more to have like the TV built around than a WWE, then it starts to make a lot of sense. And I think that's the asking price because UFC recently got bumped very, very high as well um, on their new TV contract with, I believe it's with Fox. Uh, it, it, to the point where they're actually talking about this, because I, I like sports and I, I listen to sports radio, that they've actually been talking about this on sports radio and how it's smart to buy into something like a WWE because the low cost of their television. Their last contract, I think, was like $400 million, I want to say, a year. I'd have to go back and look at the actual numbers, but it was very, very low in comparison to other sports. And you're starting to see this with a ton of TV channels doing stuff like high school football, which is really, really cheap to produce. Um, if you put stuff on that people like, sports, sports entertainment, you can get it for a lower cost than the NBA, the NFL, and the NHL. It makes a lot of sense. So seeing them split this is probably just a necessity because they might have gotten outbid by like an ESPN or a uh, – yeah, it depends on how they went about that because they could have pitched this to multiple networks. You could have gotten a bid for SmackDown. You could have gotten a bid for Raw. You could have gotten a bid for them together. And, you know, Vince is a smart businessman, so he's going to go where the money goes. Uh, it's, it's just crazy to think about, uh, especially if you compare it, like I said, to other sports and their actual production cost which is uh, much higher, especially like the NBA playoffs, much higher than WWE's weekly shows are. So it's kind of crazy, you know, to think about. Because WWE is still doing their own production anyways because they have a WWE network, so there's no way around that. So some of that production cost comes out, especially when you start talking about pre-shows with people like Shaq and Charles Barkley and all that stuff. So it's a weird, weird hole. But that is some weird news. It'll be really uh, strange for me to have to change the channel to figure out where SmackDown is at. Last time this happened is when uh, Raw switched from USA to what T was it TNN or TNT? One of the two. 
broke my mind for like a long period of time. This was Spike, and that was like really mind breaking. But yeah, wasn't wasn't one of them on Sci Fi too? SmackDown was on Sci Fi, and then they like bookended it with Haven when uh, Edge was on Haven. So that was like a really weird, weird transition of like, oh, I'm watching what? wrestling. Edge just retired, and now he's on Haven. Okay, there's Edge. Hey, Edge. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he only got cast when he came around. on out. <laughs> pretty sure it only he only got casted because it came on after SmackDown. That's amazing. Was the show rated R? Uh, it should have been. He was actually kind of like the sheriff in that show. Not to get off topic, I don't know if you've ever watched Haven. It's not. It's actually not that bad of a show, but it's not. If you haven't ever watched it and it's not something you'd be into, I don't think that you should go out of your way to see it. But it, it was okay. It wasn't a bad show. Well, I love Adam, so maybe I'll check it out. I'm definitely checking out Vikings with him in it, so I'll see him in one form <laughs> acting-wise. Either way, Chris, I heard that you had some news items uh, you wanted to talk about, so I'm actually going to give the floor to you, and we're going to start the news. All right. Well, I'm going to start it off with John Cena talking about his breakup with Nikki Bella on the Today Show. I know, I know. Interesting topic. <laughs> but... <laughs> We're going to wrap back around to why I'm talking about this. But basically, he said that he had his heart broken out of nowhere, assuming that he knew nothing about the fact that he said that assuming he was Assuming he has a heart! <laughs> he said he was still in love with Nicole Bella, and he still wants to have a family with Nicole. Um, Nikki afterwards came out and said, uh, you know, part of this is the fact that she's not very healthy. Um, she was shocked about John's statements. She said, She's an amazing man, such a sweetheart, and I truly love him, and he's my best friend. And she said basically the reason they broke up was through the wedding process, all the stuff, and uh, the issues that they've been having or that they've been hiding deep down inside. And, and this is confirmed on today's website, so you can go read up. They have this thing is way past WWE at this point to where it's an actual, you know, bullshit morning TV. Um, <laughs> So my question for you, Dane, is, is this just a giant gimmick for Total Divas and Total Bellas? Because I feel like I'm getting worked as a wrestling fan. This seems like a giant fucking work, um, especially seeing the promos for Total Divas and both Total Bellas uh, during SmackDown and Raw last week. So what are your thoughts? My thoughts are I'm not saying I'm excited for the new season, but a lot's gone on, so, you know, um, yeah, I've definitely, um, I've watched a couple episodes, I'm just, you know, more Total uh, Divas and Total Bellas, but either way, um, yeah, do I think that this is a work for the television show? God, I hope not. If if that's true, then I'm going to think that John Cena kind of sold his soul to the devil, a.k.a. Vince McMahon. Because that's, that's a hell of a concept to go and just do this for te- some type of gimmick uh, for, tele- for, for a television show. Um, it, but, I mean, it doesn't it, – it, like you said, it sounds so weird. Like, if anyone knew going into this, uh, the reason why they didn't originally get married is because John Cena did not want to get married. Uh, he was married early in his life, uh, had a really rough divorce, and was done with it. And one of the big things, he wanted Nikki to sign a prenup, and she kind of had issues with that. He also said many times he didn't really want to have kids. He doesn't have enough time to be able to give to a child. Uh, and a lot of the stuff that – and I mean it makes sense. A lot of the stuff 
we know that 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 John's done a lot of um, stuff for uh, what the heck is it called? Blue Cross. Or, you know, going to see kids. Yeah, exactly. Going to see kids, basically on the last one of their lives, and he saw a lot of that, and it kind of messed him up. Um, so there's all that. You know, there's a lot of humans aspects to this. Their breakup is the exact opposite. Now Nikki doesn't want to start a family with him, so it is weird. It sounds like a wrestling angle. I don't know. Um, I'm going to say that this is a breakup. They're going to re. You know what the most messed up thing is? Wherever they broke up in real life, if that actually happened, they had to redo it for the TV's sake. You know, they had to redo it if if they didn't get it normally on camera. So what we might be seeing. It was a reenact. I mean, not that I would watch it, but what we could potentially see as audience members for Total Bellas is a reenactment of their breakup. Um, I think it really did happen. Um, I don't know if that's exactly the reasoning or if he kind of switched it. I have no idea. But I do think that Vince is trying to push both of them to use it as some type of PR opportunity. I would not be surprised for that. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they get married at SummerSlam on the friggin' pay-per-view event. Um, I have no idea. It's, it's such a weird situation, Chris. I, I think it's definitely um, a weird situation, but the, the way that they switch the roles definitely feels like a wrestling angle. And the fact that none of them have said anything negative about each other and that they're both best friends kind of puts you in the situation of like, oh, these people are probably going to get back together at some point, probably during some sort of wrestling event, and then maybe get married at WrestleMania. That's just kind of the asshole in me that doesn't really believe that they broke up, I guess. Maybe I don't know the full story, but when you come out on the Today Show and you air your laundry in the way that they aired their laundry where they both were so positive um, and positive and different ways where they, the roles were reversed um, kind of feels like a wrestling angle. Probably actually a better wrestling angle than most of the stuff that's been on Raw recently, but definitely a wrestling angle. <laughs> I could be wrong, and I, you know, I wish the best for both of them anyways. It's just usually when a breakup like this happens, the dirt sheets hit, and you start hearing about, well, you know, John Cena was sleeping around, or Nikki was sleeping around. You start getting that kind of stuff, and I haven't really seen anything like that, so... It's a, it's a weird one. I guess we'll see what happens on Total Divas next season. Um, to go into more so, something more positive that maybe you're more excited about, WWE UK signings. And this is per Wrestling Observer in F4W Online. With the ITV taping pro wrestling the past week in Norwich, WWE attempted to sign as many of the top United Kingdom stars as possible in recent weeks to both keep them from World of Sport and also to be with them for their own heavier expansions to the UK market with a UK-specific brand and weekly television. WWE kicks off the next phase on June 18th and June 19th with the King of the Ring tournament at Royal Albert Hall in London. As noted in the current Observer, Tony Storm was key on the radar. While talent is not allowed to publicly talk about signings until WWE releases their names themselves, and this is not a full list of the confirmed signings by no means, Dane, but those who have been in talks with WWE's new project are Storm, Joe Coffey, Dave Steve, um, El Ligro, Travis Banks, Chris Brooks, Jenny, and Eddie Dennis. And El Ligro has already been confirmed for the upcoming 205 Live uh, Cruiserweight Tournament. 
So basically the way I read this and the way I kind of see it is when Triple H was talking about this territory system that he's looking at building, um, UK may be the first target for this thing. Uh, how do you feel about the signings and how do you feel about the news of WWE attempting to sign more of these uh, IT, uh, ITV pro wrestling stars and, and UK stars in general? Okay, I, you you kind of cut off on my end. Uh, did you say Joe Kofi or Joe Hendry? Joe Kofi. Okay. Um, well, that one really excites me. As as you know, Chris, I've become somewhat of a mark of the Iron Man, and uh, I think he's incredible just in general. Because I mean, all right, when I was a kid, I did like the Ultimate Warrior to an extent, but when you get older, you find out you know how much of an in ring hack he was. And I'm sorry, he was, guys. Um, you know, and how he hurt Bobby Heenan, broke part of his neck, didn't pay for it or anything like that. And I love the concept. Joe Kofi is a good promo. He's an excellent wrestler, and he is the modern equivalent, I think. Well, I mean, he's influenced by Warrior in that aspect. The face paint. The fact that he does Iron Man stuff, just like Finn Balor, I don't think he's going to be able to translate that over to WWE. But if they let him keep that type of, I'm this huge kind of like this Viking concept, but Ultimate Warrior hybrid, I think that he could be a lot of fun. Um, a lot of those people that you said, I've seen the matches, I think that they're great talents. I love the idea of another tournament in the UK, and we're calling this King of the Ring. I've been wanting to bring back the King of the Ring tournament to WWE for a long time. So uh, kind of like how I felt like when they used War Games, uh, that style match at NXT, this could be to potentially see how people react to it to bring King of the Ring somewhere else. And I like it anyways because of the fact that King of the Ring is amazing and the UK talent's amazing. So Tony Storm, oh, man, I don't know why they didn't sign her and Tessa Blanchard after the tournament, uh, the Mayung tournament. They're just, we're, they were two of the most incredible performers in the whole entire thing. Especially I get to see more of Tony, obviously, since – uh, Tessa had that bang out with Kerry Sane in the first round, but it might have been the best match on the whole entire thing. So that that says that says a lot about those two performers. Um, but yeah, Tony just really impressed me, and she's awesome. She's she's young too. She's she's like a Will Ospreay or a Velveteen Dream. You know, you got someone that young, you can really mold them into whatever the hell you have them for. And then, I, of course, I love Pete Dunne. I, I love Tyler Bate. I, I love Trent Seven. I love a lot of the guys over there. I'm hoping between the two promotions, I, I, is it ICW or is it something like that, in, in progress, that, you know, we could see some tr- talent invested into WWE stuff, whether it be crossover stuff with NXT or what they just did with uh, 205 Live, which I haven't watched the episode yet, but they were in England. All the matches were crossovers with other UK talent. That's awesome. UK style might be one of the best styles of professional wrestling on the planet. The way they incorporate, you know, technical wrestling, but take it to like an extreme level, but also they're hard hitting, uh, sometimes high flying. It depends on the situation, depending on, you know, if you're Mark Andrews or Tyler Bate compared to like, I don't think I've ever seen Pete Dunn really go that far off the top ropes, but they just, it comes off very realistic style fighting, very much like New Japan with strong style, but uh, British strong style, just, it's different. And I do like all the competitors. 
that will potentially be in it. I don't know all of them, obviously, but I'm just saying like a lot of the people they're going to be using and the ones that you listed. And if they become full-time people, I think a lot of them will find success over um, in the WWE to some extent, even if it's an NXT or uh, they start this UK show, which I kind of hope that they do um, eventually because I think there's a lot of UK talent. Um, I'm trying to think of like Mike, Mikey Whiplash, another guy I'd love to see in some type of matches over here. Danny Havoc. There's a lot of UK guys that have great, the great indie wrestlers. Some of them, I don't know if they would actually want to go to WWE. I, I say that now because, you know, we're in a time period where people on the indies make so much money. Um, but still, it's like I'd like to see them make some type of crossover, even if it's this or like what, well, Keith Lee's signing, with, I think, with, with WWE now, but like how him and Walter were involved in tournaments uh, leading up to Mania and stuff like that, like, I love to see certain talents. It seems that WWE, like New Japan, you know, to an extent, and like AAA to an extent, they're branching and making friends. Uh, for them, it's evolved and it's progress. And the other UK division that I can't remember its name, but it's an acronym that starts with I. Anyways, that's what I think, Chris. I yeah, think I, I mean, I think the I, I, uh, ITV. Um, as far as I know, and they just they just did their uh, you know on the pi- they just recently did the pilot show, so they they have a ton of talent there, and uh, I really do feel that this will be WWE's first territory. I think this will be a show geared to the network, and it will be geared towards UK fans of these people. Um, I think it'll be really cool to see a lot of this talent mixed up with people on NXT, and I think that's something you can do obviously with these different tournaments. Um, all of it's very exciting, man. Um, I think you pretty much nailed, you know, the two the, the two people I'm the most excited about, if the this rumor is true, which, I mean, it is from the mouth of Meltzler, so it's probably pretty much, at least they're in talks. Um, maybe it's not officially signed, but definitely in talks. But uh, Storm, Joe Kofi, or Joe Coffey, sorry, and, uh, you know, Travis, Travis Banks, I think, are all great signings, and it'll be really incredible to watch. And, uh, God, I can never pronounce his name. I don't know if it's El Ligro or El El Ligero, El Ligro, I guess it's probably the proper pronunciation. He's going to be in the the NX or uh, not the NXT, but he's going to be part of that 205 Live tournament. So that kind of leads me to believe that that at least that one rumor is probably true. So um, following that up. While we're talking about uh, UK, the first round of the WWE United Kingdom Championship will take place during next month's Download Festival, which is a huge festival for you guys that don't know, in the UK, um, where they have a ton of musicians. They've had, you know, anywhere from Oasis to Kanye, depending on the year, uh, as far as headliners go for that thing. But uh, WWE made the announcement on, I guess it would have been the 14th for this and the matches will take place during uh, NXT's annual ex- excursion to the festival because NXT runs this every year. They'll be running uh, shows all three nights starting on June 8th through June 10th. WWE also announced that the competitors in the tournament will be announced on both Wednesday and Friday, so you can check that out on their website. I believe that they're going to start announcing who's going to be there. One competitor that's definitely already set, or actually two, or one that's already set for sure is uh, Jack Gallagher. They set that up on uh, NXT television taping. Sorry if that's a spoiler alert. Um, but tournament itself will continue at uh, Royal Albert Hall in London, England on June 18th. So they're basically going to do part of it at the Download Festival and part of it uh, 
you know, later on at Royal Albert Hall, which is really cool. And then the winner of that is going to face Pete Dunne the next day, and that will also be at Royal Albert Hall for the United Kingdom Championship. Last time there was a tournament in the uh, the UK itself, it was to crown the initial champion, which obviously was Tyler Bate versus Pete Dunne. Um, I guess my question would be, do you think there's going to be a rematch between Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne? And also, how do you think, uh, how do you feel about them doing this all in the UK for the UK tournament? And then also, you know, calling it what they're calling it. Uh, kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, any other thoughts, I guess, around it? Are you talking about the name King of the Ring? Uh, I guess it's going to be called King of the Ring. Um, I didn't have that fact originally going in, but that's what I think that's what you came through. It's definitely a United King Championship tournament that's going to be going on, like I said, during this download festival. So June 8th through June 10th, and then again on June 18th and June 19th. And then that's going to be to see who fights, you know, June June 19th will be. Whoever wins this tournament will be facing uh, Pete Dunne can, if he still holds the title at that point, which I assume he, he will be. Um, it being a month away to this event, so yeah. Um, I just want to say, if I came up with King of the Ring, I'm pretty sure I heard that. Uh, so anyone listening, if I gave false information, uh, my cat told me. So blame my cat and send any hate mail. Uh, it's Roxy is her name, so she's the one who lied. But I hope it is called that. I really do. I think that's a cool concept. But either way, what you were talking about with Tyler Bate. Um, God, that would be so cool. But I really feel they're going to try to expose another British wrestler to go against Pete Dunne um, as far as the tournament goes. If, if I, Wait, were you saying – I'm sorry, Chris. Uh, were you saying that Pete Dunne is going against uh, Tyler Bate again at this, at this uh, tournament, like outside of the tournament itself? Or are you saying potentially Tyler Bate could get through the tournament to go against Pete Dunne again? Potentially. He's really the only person I've seen confirmed. I haven't looked at WWE's website uh, since I left work, uh, which they were supposed to be announcing who the competitors are uh, today and Friday, because there's NXT obviously comes on. It's, uh, I think NXT is filmed to maybe today. I don't know, but they're going to be, basically they're announcing it on their website uh, today and Friday, uh, who the who all the competitors are, but confirmed already is, is uh, Jack Gallagher, and uh, Tyler Bate. So, how, you know, right off the bat, Tyler Bate's the standout just to get the rematch um, between those two. It'll be the third big match between those, and, the, and their last two matches were both phenomenal. So he's kind of my pick to win the tournament. Um, and then some of the other names that we named earlier uh, in the pa- in the last segment we were talking about, I'm assuming that they're going to be part of this. So, you know, Joe Coffey and uh, probably Wolfgang will be back. I'm assuming you're going to get some guys like that. Probably a lot of the guys from the first UK tournament. Is there a standout that you would like to see from the UK that's not Tyler Bate, or do you just want the rematch, I guess, was more of the question. Yeah, dude. So I'm looking for it. The first eight people uh, is Joe Coffey, Coffey, however you pronounce it, uh, Zach Gibson, J- uh, Gentleman Jack Gallagher, Amir Jordan, Kenny Williams, Allegro, or that's the one that you were trying to do earlier. I don't really – Allegro? It's either or. Uh, Dave Mastiff. We're going to find out, people. That's the best part. And Joseph Connors. Um, so if they use the, the same type of people, Trent Seven, like you said, you know, Wolfgang, Tyler Bate, I would like to say Joe – I'd love to see Joe Kofi take it all the way. Uh, just put him on the map real quick. He's trained a lot of the U.K. young lads over there. He got trained – 
by Killian Danes, who got trained by Finn Balor. I believe they all go to the same, or it's Finn Balor's gym. I'm not 100% sure. But either way, I'd like to see him, if Tyler doesn't get it, but if Tyler gets it, that's a pretty cool story to tell. But then again, he wins the tournament two times in a row from which it started. So you'd think that they would try to put hope in another competitor to get further. So, yeah, I'm going to say Joe Kofi in a very long uh, roundabout answer. I, I hope that it ends up being Tyler Bate versus uh, Joe Coffey um, in the final oh, match. Oh, that would be awesome. I don't, care, I don't care either way which goes from there. I just think that will be an amazing match. And then you'll get one of those two amazing competitors against Pete Dunne um, for the actual title, which also will be incredible. Um, I hope that they do it where on the 19th, it's just the one match with some, you know, pomp and circumstance around it, as opposed to they bring the tournament all the way to the 19th. (laughs) Well, no, it says here. So on the 18th, yeah. So the 19th will probably just be a bunch of random matches plus the championship match. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a really cool tournament. I'm glad they're doing it again and they didn't bail on it. Um, download festival thing where they're going to be performing there. I hope they really get a lot of that stuff on the network because it's at Donington Park, which is just really like a really cool concept to see wrestling there in general. So I'm looking forward yeah. to it. I think it's really cool. Um, PWG, this is more of a topic for uh, Keith Lee. They've named their event Bask in His Glory, which will take place in Rosetta, California on May 25th. The name of the show is a reference, obviously, to Keith Lee and his catchphrase. Be sure to increase speculation about Lee's future on the independent scene. Lee lost the PWG World Championship to Walter at All-Star Weekend night two, uh, night two earlier this month and is scheduled to face Australian wrestler Adam Brooks in May. So I guess the question here is, obviously, it's already leaked that Keith Lee's pretty much signed with NXT. He's going to be in NXT. Um how do you feel about a company like PWG kind of paying tribute to a guy that's been there for a while, like Keith Lee, that's carried their title? And do you think this is the right thing to do, or do you think they should go the route of like a Ring of Honor, where it's you know a little less tribute? Um, how do you feel about the way independent companies handle these kind of send-offs? I mean, Kevin Owens had a really good one. Sami Zayn also had a really good one. And um, also, how excited are you for Keith Lee? Being, I know you're a huge Keith Lee fan. Um, being in NXT, and who would you like to see him face in general once he gets there? Oh, my God. You just overloaded me. Um, <laughs> Keith Lee in NXT. You know, try to think. I, I think, honestly, if, you, if you're going Haas battle, Killian Dane is one of the most incredible guys that I've ever seen when it comes to what he can do for his size. Now, you go to Keith Lee. Keith Lee is also one of the most incredible big guys to see what they can do. I mean, these guys do flips like it's nothing, nothing over stuff. So to see those two guys that can both go blow to blow and also be able to pull off some incredible stuff, and they're both good wrestlers for their size, would be a lot of fun. But I just realized Killian Danes now in SmackDown about to come out with Sanity, so that whole that whole entire rant was completely pointless. Stupid superstar shakeup. Damn it. All right. Anyways. Um, <laughs> well, right off the bat, Velveteen Dream comes to, uh, to my head. But I feel like it could go EC3. The reason why I think that EC3's gimmick, just like Velveteen Dream, uh, I just feel like he's going to be working with Ricochet for a while. 
luckily. Actually, I think the first match is, has already happened. Well, it was already recorded, but has already been displayed. And we're going to be able to watch it right after we're done with the show. So I'm looking forward to that. But either way, they're going to be tied up for a while. So I think that Keith Lee, EC3 would be a good guy. He's cocky and arrogant. You know, Keith Lee kind of has that type of concept of basking my glory. It's, it's not so much like, like say my name, like, like Velveteen Dream does it. But it, it's a similar type of concept. I don't think that EC3 would give him the time of day, and I don't think it would be either way for Keith Lee. I think people are going to know, obviously, in the NXT audience, who the hell Keith Lee is. And when he's presented, he's going to come off like a baby face. It's, he just has that presence to him. Um, and I think that EC3, if you really want him to be more definitively a heel, put him against someone like Keith Lee and let them actually, you know, kind of work that out. I, honestly, like the concept of even him and Lars Sullivan, or Lars Sullivan is, is interesting because I have to say, Lars is another guy, man. I don't know if, if, if Killian Dane's been working with them. He's been pretty crazy on top ropes. I don't know if that's a good thing because he's not always so, you know, uh, graceful. But still, if he's able to make an interesting match, beforehand it was kind of like he was just a lumbering big guy. So that would be kind of interesting. As far as smaller guys, I'm trying to think of like Johnny Gargano. I forgot about him. Those guys would have a killer match. I don't know. I'm looking forward to many different situations if you can't sell in NXT. Um, and with, with PWG, I'm just wondering if they did this for Ricochet, if they did this in the past. If this is something that they normally do for a guy that they know is going on to WWE or maybe they, they sign a deal in New Japan or whatnot. Um, and if that's the case, it's a cool send-off. I personally think uh, you have your last match, and that's it. <laughs> I, I I don't know um, if you're big enough, obviously, and, it, and you're and you're calling it quits. Yeah, come out, make an announcement, stuff like that. But I don't necessarily think that wrestlers, you know, if they want to, if a venue wants to, I'm not trying to be a dick. If PWG wants to represent him, that's fine. But I think it's more symbolic if you kind of like leave when the curtain's done, you just move on. I don't know. Is that weird? No, I don't think it's weird at all. I, I think when, you know, when Sami Zayn left, Kevin Owens turned it into a, a gimmick. So it could be something of that nature. Um, it's cool. I think it's a real cool thing that they, you know, actually named a pay-per-view after him. And he's going to have a match, probably one of his last any match. I'm sure he's got dates running up until his de- debut. Um, but I, I think it's kind of cool that they do it. Um, I think Jim Cornette probably hates it. So, if you're a super old school fan, Why maybe you have harder feelings. the whole entire event dedicated to you? You're going to fucking WWE. Yep. He's going to hate it. I pretty much uh, feel like that's, like, you know, how he would feel about it. But, you know, the PWG crowd, similar to the ECW crowd, a lot of the same venues. Um, I mean, it's a cool send-off. And I thought it was kind of a cool story. They ended up naming, you know, a, a pay-per-view. Um, for him, so I, I think it's cool. I'm really excited to see him. I, the people I would love to see him face, uh, if he comes in as a baby face, I think Champa would be great. Maybe Champa injure, injures Gargano again, oh. and Keith Lee kind of starts a feud with him. I think that would be fun to see. You know, Champa just being a full out heel to beat this big monster that is Keith Lee. Um, I think that would be really really fun. So I'm looking forward to seeing all the different matchups. Lars Sullivan, as you said, would be fun. Uh, also, Aleister Black, depending on how they want to paint that character going forward. And EC3, obviously, would be 
it, it would be good for Keith Lee. I don't know how good it would be for EC3. I think that Keith Lee will end up getting more over out of that situation, but, you know, it just depends on how you want to build. Um, but, yeah, like all of those different matches that he could have. I mean, the one that I want to see the most is the one that's, you know, happened in the past, which is Ricochet and, and Keith Lee, or uh, one that hasn't happened, obviously. Like you said, both these guys are tied up for a while. Is Velveteen Dream uh, versus Keith Lee. So that's... Uh, I think that's pretty much it for the news, unless you want to talk about TakeOver Chicago. But the problem with that is it's got some spoiler alerts for tonight's taping of NXT. So I don't know how far we want to go into that. Well, we could give you guys a spoiler alert. And if you want to listen, go for it. And if you don't, you can not listen to it. It's up to you out there. Uh, Actually, it's up to you, Chris. As long as we give a spoiler warning, we're good. I don't care. I'm just kind of curious myself. Okay. So, I mean, this is just the match card. How they get there is a different story. Um, the match card's actually looking spoiler pretty good. Warning. This is definitely a spoiler learning. So, the, the there's we're going to talk about all the matches, but the two that stand out in my mind the most and the ones that I want to talk about the most is a street fight between Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. And once again, singles match, Ricochet versus Velveteen Dream in the singles match. So tell me your thoughts on both of those and what you kind of want to see come out of those matches. Um, oh, man. So should I go? Uh, so Ricochet and Velveteen Dream. I mean, I hate to say this. It, it obviously depends on tonight if they have a wonky finish, which NXT is not known for that. Um, it starts the matches, so I'm going to assume that Velveteen Dream is going to lose. So, given their next takeover, if they're still going the same feud, Velveteen Dream potentially could win. Definitely could win. Um, Johnny Gargano, who is the person that you said he's going against? He is going against Tommaso Ciampa in a street fight at TakeOver Chicago. Oh, yeah. That's right. No, I know about this. Um, oh, man. Man, I, I want I want Johnny to win, man. I think I think that Velveteen Dream is going to upset Ricochet some way, doing something heelish. And I'm going to say Johnny Gargano finally beats Tommaso Ciampa and beats the crap out of him, and maybe he has like a does something similar to what Eddie Edwards did with uh, Sammy Callahan, where he just loses it and like you know uh, what you call it. Uh, his his uh, uh, has to come out and like try to stop him or something like that. Like it's a very similar. Procedure, actually, the way that they just did that in their feud. So I don't know if you'd want to go down that route, but, I mean, street fight, if that ends up happening, Candice LeRae comes out, tries to get him. As long as he doesn't elbow her or hurt her, it wouldn't be spot for spot. But, yeah, I want Johnny to win. But if he goes off the wagon afterwards, I think it would be fulfilling, too. I I think uh, with Gargano catching the win, the last – I guess NXT pay-per-view. I feel like Ciampa might get his might get pick up a win here. I don't think they're done with the storyline by any means. I think they might split it up. Could even see our Gargano injury angle um, coming out of this at least for a couple of weeks. Not probably not a long-term thing. Um, maybe something where Gargano's legs injured, similar to Ciampa's. I definitely think that Ciampa's probably going to win here. I think the Sinhol match, the happy happy go lucky match, is going to be. Uh, Rick Shea versus Velveteen Dream with Rick Shea maybe picking up a win here. The thing that I don't 
Well, never mind. Yeah, I think that's very possible that Ricochet wins. I could see you going either way with that. Um, you want to give Ricochet a head of steam just because I think he has been really, really over um, since coming to NXT, but I don't necessarily know that you want to do it against Velveteen Dream. And if you're trying to build to the next match, it makes sense for Velveteen Dream to win here because it's not really going to hurt Ricochet. He already, he's already lost uh, You know, he lost in that latter match, so he's not undefeated or anything. At least they're not booking themselves into that corner anymore. So, um, either way, that match is a toss-up. I'm kind of leaning towards, like, well, I was leaning towards Ricochet, and then I think you convinced me. I think they might go Velveteen Dream there. And uh, I, I, I do think Ciampa will probably end up beating Gargano. So, that's going to be, just in general, those two matches are going to be phenomenal, um, especially considering my favorite spots from that latter match were Ricochet and Velveteen Dream and the things that they were able to do to see these two guys work a long format match on a pay-per-view is going to be incredible. Um, the other matches, and I'll just kind of go through them, uh, obviously for the NXT Championship, we have Aleister Black versus Lars Sullivan. Does this match do anything for you? Are you excited for it at all? No, if anything, it's just going to be something where Lars loses, but he's able to, sh- you know, show off how strong he is for a majority of the match. And then Alistair Black's going to have a comeback and win. Um, and think of it, I'm just saying, I don't have a problem with Lars Sullivan, but it feels like if he wins the championship and breaks Alistair Black, someone they've been building up this much, breaks his, his title win this close into it, that that was a Vince choice because he's looking at Lars' potential to bring up to Maine, blah, 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 blah. And you know me. I'm not Mr., uh, you know, conspiracy theorist with Vince McMahon, but that seems like an angle that he would pull. Like I said, I don't have a problem with Lars, uh, but I don't want to see him beating Aleister Black unless it's some DQ way because he takes it too far. You know, same thing, kind of similar to the thing with Johnny. And if it's something like that, where it goes DQ because he goes to hurt Aleister Black because he gets mad. Maybe he gets kicked in the face once. I wish they could do color, but he comes back up and he's just pissed. And then he just goes crazy. But, uh, yeah, if not, I definitely think Aleister Black's winning, and I don't really have a lot of uh, care for this match in the first place. I, I think Aleister Black wins this match. I think Laura Sullivan will get the, the majority of the offense, but I think uh... – you're, you're just going to – like, this is just a basic match for Aleister Black. It's just a transitional match until they can build whatever feud they want to do. I think you could even see – right now, EC3 is not on the card. I think you could even see a spot where EC3 interferes or something that sets up a separate feud. Or, um, this match, I don't think, is going to go off without a hitch uh, looking at the card. So, um, But I do think Aleister Black retains the title. I, like you said, I don't see them taking it off of him so soon. I think he's going to carry it for a while, maybe up until SummerSlam. There's going to have to be some other event pivoting around him losing that title because I think he's going to go straight to Maine. Uh, I think Vince and Triple H are both into the concept of Aleister Black. So uh, I, I, I think that's probably just – it sucks for Lars because he's kind of in a situation where it's, well, you're on the main event, but you're definitely going to lose. So that – I mean, I – Maybe they screw me over and I'm completely wrong, but if I had to make a prediction and actually bet on it, I would definitely go Aleister Black. Um, moving out of that, NXT Women's Championship match, you have Nikki Cross versus Shayna Baszler. Um, I'm actually looking forward to the match myself. I don't think that Nikki is going to pull off a win, but I do think it's going to be an interesting match. So uh, 
what are your thoughts, Dave? Oh, man. Well, depending on what happens from now and then, because we kind of saw Nikki laughing at Dakota Kai last episode of NXT last week um, because of her reaction to Shayna Baszler. And it looks like it's going to set something up. Here's the thing. I think that if uh, this is one of my answers where I give you <laughs> both sides, but it's, it depends. It, it depends. If, if Nikki's actually supposed to be a part of the package for sanity, but they've been keeping her out of the promos because, you know, they're coming a little bit later and she had to do more stuff for NXT. Obviously, Shayna Baszler needs more opponents that are at a certain level. And Carrie, you don't want to do Kari Sane yet. That's going to be probably the person that I'm assuming takes the title off of her. So, if Nikki wins, that means that she was going to stick around anyways. And she's probably going to have the title for a minute. But Shayna Baszler just won the title, so it's another situation. Even though I like Aleister Black a lot more, why would they do that that soon afterwards? Well, it's still a good amount of time. I don't know. If Nikki if Nikki loses, it's because she's going up to Maine. I don't know why the hell they'd have her lose. They've had her around the title for a very long time. Um, why would they split her up from Sanity just for the hell of it for her not to win the title? So if she loses, I think she's going up to Maine with Sanity, and they were just kind of hiding her, not putting her in the promos. Um, maybe they'll just bring her into the storyline or whatnot. Um but if she wins, I think Nikki's sticking around NXT for a minute, and she's going to have that belt. Maybe she'll go back and forth with Shane, and they'll do something like that. But I think she'll be in the title picture for a little while. Yeah, and I the reason I uh, immediately think Shayna is I think that they want to hone her skills more. And I agree with you. If Nikki loses, I think she does go up to Maine. And she's kind of in the perfect situation to do that because there's no one really like her on the female roster. So she can kind of run roughshod over the female roster, and then you can set up some interesting title matches. Um, they're on SmackDown, right? Sanity. So you get Nikki Cross, and then you have, you know, you have like an Asuka, you have a Charlotte Flair, you have a Carmella. You can bring in this person that is completely different than all of them. Completely different than Becky. There's a lot of faces on uh, SmackDown. Uh, with the exception of Carmella, most of the female wrestlers right now are positioned as faces, and I think that she would be a pretty good heel. Um, I guess you could get into Paige's group, Absolution, a little bit, but I I don't really consider them faces or heels because they haven't done anything to really build them. They were just like Paige's crew, and they haven't rectified oh, that I, yet. I so, agree with that statement, Chris. But I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt within a year that Mandy Rose has a title because Vince McMahon. Is Vince McMahon? Let me just put it that way. I don't, and I, I don't think either of them are bad wrestlers. I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not yeah. saying that. I just they haven't built them. And Nikki Cross coming in and having the backing of Sanity would make for a really good opponent for an Oscar. The Oscar strips Carmella from, you know, strips the title off Carmella, which I think is very plausible. Um, yeah. So. And to me, if you, like you said, if she loses, I think that's definitely a nod to the main roster. And the final match, at least confirmed matches thus far, is the NXT Tag Team Championship match. We have Oni Lorton and Danny Burch versus Roderick Strong and Kyle O'Reilly. And I'm going to go on a limb and say this is probably going to be one of the best matches of the night. But then I looked at the card again and I was like, man, it's Ricochet and Velveteen Dream, Dark Animal, 
Champa. This match is going to be really damn good, so make sure you at least watch it. Don't just skip to the the two big ones. But uh, here, I think Roderick Stall and Kyle O'Reilly retain. I think, you know, Adam Cole maybe may be involved in, in some form or fashion, but I do think you're going to get one hell of a match out of this tag team. So uh, how do you feel about it? You know what? Go with a screw finish on that if you're going to have them retain, because if not, dude, you've had Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch lose a majority of their matches, unless they fight each other, and then one wins. And they're two of the toughest guys presented. Now they're on a tag team, you know, I just I I think I'm like you. I'm assuming that you're going for this because I just don't think they're going to take the titles off of that group um, anytime soon. So if that happens, do something like Adam Cole comes out, gets him disqualified or something like that because it's just going to be like they're the, they're the two toughest jobbers I think of all time. Unless someone wants to tell me Brooklyn Brawler is a tougher guy than friggin' Oni Lorkin, who I've I've seen him punch. He's broke two dudes' noses. He's got his own nose broken. My lord. I don't know if breaking people's noses in the wrestling business is a landmark event anymore, but he's a tough <laughs> son of a bitch. He's stiff. <laughs> that being he's said, I think uh, I think Roderick and, and Kyle O'Reilly for sure are going to walk out, but I do think it'll be a screw. I mean, they you know they they have like the four horsemen thing going, so them winning here is not. I think you can make Danny and Oni look super strong, um, but I, I don't think they're going to take the titles off them yet because I, I definitely think they're going to run with uh, this four horsemen thing that they have going on for a while. But what was more surprising is this Roderick Strong and Kyle O'Reilly, and they kind of split up the group a little bit. But that's going to be a uh, it's going to be an interesting match. I think it's going to be a damn good match. Um, they could rival, you know, Ciampa and Gargano or Rick Shane Velveteen Dream because I just know Roderick Strong is going to, like, Roderick Strong and Kyle O'Reilly are going to go out there and try to have the match of the night. So it's going to be interesting to see which one of these guys show up the other one. Um, that's all I have for the card thus far. That's all that's been announced. So we'll probably recap this at some point on the show, but... Uh, the only other thing I have is the impact viewership being down for three straight weeks. Last Thursday, viewership averaged 299,000 viewers on Pop TV, which is declined from the previous weeks, which was 308,000. Obviously, they're going against the NBA, um, the NBA and, and the NHL. Do you think this is a red alert for them, knowing that there's 300,000 people watching them on a weekly basis? And how do you think this affects their – the fact that this is public knowledge, how do you think this affects them trying to get people to come in as well as affects the people that are currently there? Oh, man. I mean, it affects them badly. And that's what sucks is that the product's gotten better uh, because of the – I think because of the leadership over there. Uh, that's not good, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can definitely – say obviously that they're dealing with competition but everyone deals with competition and I mean they, let's just let's just call it out I mean they're on a, a very random network they're a product that's not even named the thing that gave them so much you know attention in the first place with TNA uh, I mean you can get disassociated if you call them impact or if you went to global force wrestling and then back into impact like there's so many different elements that have kind of just probably screwed them from being as mainstream as they once was. Um, and like I said, I've watched their last 
two pay-per-views, no, three pay-per-views, uh, and a couple of their in-between um, shows, and I have really enjoyed it. I think, honestly, and I mean, I was talking about it earlier, I think that the Sammy Callahan-Eddie Edwards feud is up there for me, and I've witnessed between Cody and Kenny, and then also Tommaso and, and Johnny, and and uh, the ball hitters, uh, Shinsuke and AJ. Um, maybe Roman and Braun? No. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just... It just puts things in perspective, man, and that, that sucks because I think Don Callis is part of creative. I don't know if he's an owner. I don't think it's like that, but I think that he's head of creative over there now. He's doing great. I think that – I don't know if Bruce is there anymore, but Bruce Pritchard I think was one of the, the last strings holding that together before Jeff came in, then Jeff left and all that type of stuff. There's a lot of just craziness. Um, everything with Alberto. Um, I kind of wish – I mean, I hate to say this, but I wish that that uh, that Billy was still interested in it, took the TV program, worked out something, and dissolved it all into one organization, maybe combined titles again with another organization, like Impact's already done, But and start up the NWA. You have a television platform, maybe get viewers. They're doing really well YouTube-wise. It's just maybe that could happen. I don't know if that will, but... There's definitely communication between Billy Corgan and Den, uh, Don Callison to some extent. Uh, so maybe potentially that's where it could go. I, w- I would love that, especially if they kept the talent, because the talent's really good out there. They have a lot of good wrestlers. And TNA, a lot of their match styles and stuff like that, they have a lot of good aspects as well. I mean, I don't want to just all of a sudden it's gone. And a lot of people lose their jobs and stuff, so... Yeah, I mean, some of their highest ratings ever were in 2011, which, if I remember, it was like a one. It was one million viewers because, like, a one point what a one point something is over a million viewers, and that's when they tried to go head to head with Monday Night Raw, which at the end didn't work out. So, the fact that they've you know, the biggest thing with TNA is the different contracts they've lost. They lost a spike contract. Then they lost Destination America, and now they are on kind of a random network that not a lot of people have. This may be very good ratings for Pop TV. Every time I turn it to Pop TV and it's not Impact, it's usually like Roadhouse or some movie from the 80s or some source that they're like, we'll throw this on and maybe people will watch it. Um, It seems like it's that kind of network. Uh, In the same way UPN used to seem that way back in the day before it became, you know, the CW and the yeah, they had uh, what this uh, Superman Smallville um, before they actually kind of transformed. They got WWE and they started making progress. So I'm not going to blame this all completely on them. Obviously, I think the product's gotten a lot better. But when you're looking at 300,000 people and you realize that a big, you know, WWE pay-per-view pulls over 70,000, and that's not including people watching at home, it just shows you how big the gap is between an impact and a WWE. Um, And that's not negative or positive. It's just there for, you know, that's how big of a gap it is for an indie promotion to get to a WWE level. Um, And when we were talking about like the the stuff earlier, that's when you really start looking at 
you know, can an indie promotion do it? And it's like, yeah, they can, but they definitely need someone like a CM Punk and a, a Kenny Omega. And it needs to be a conglomerate of really great wrestlers that people love. And they need a good TV deal. They can't be on pop TV. They got to be on like at least Spike, something that everybody has. So I just found that interesting. Um, like I said, it doesn't mean anything about Impact. I think their products actually got better um, over the past month, definitely, uh, coming out of that last pay-per-view. But yeah, that pretty much wraps it up for the news. I don't, I don't really think we have time to talk about Raw or SmackDown, so I'll send it back to you, Dane, and, and you do your thing, and I'll uh, I'll take a sip of my beer. <laughs> all right, dude, you take a sip of your beer. I'll smoke. Never mind. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that episode. We had one hell of a packed episode. I mean, we had an interview with a legend, Ken Shamrock, and had a lot of great news, and we kind of like you know kind of went with the theme of All In. We kind of like differed a little bit in certain aspects of WWE. Even if we talked about WWE, it was NXT and stuff going on in UK. So I just want to make it cl- – I want to clarify. There's lots of wrestling out there, guys. I love WWE, but I think their best product is the stuff that's on Wednesday nights, honestly. So check out everything out there, man. Uh, All In hopefully is going to be televised. You can check out a lot of great wrestlers, uh, a part of that. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have lots of great interviews coming up soon. Uh, so just, you know, definitely be checking out for them. And remember, you can find Geek Vibes Nation, everything involved with them, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Join the conversation. Let me and Chris know how you like Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Definitely do that. We're on YouTube. We are on, of course, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes. So definitely check out our podcast at Geek Vibes Nation. And, uh just wanted to let uh, Chris. I'll let you, uh, you know, say goodbye to everyone. Say goodbye to everyone. Yeah, just, just a big thank you to Ken Shamrock for coming on the show. Awesome stories. Uh, great guy to talk to. So glad that we were able to get together on that. Everybody, check out KenShamrock.com. Obviously, he's got stuff going on. Uh, if you want to hit me up on Twitter, if you have any questions, you can hit me at Chris R Patton at Chris R Patton P A T T O N. Uh, make sure to check out all of our podcasts. And uh, I hope everybody has a great week. And I love you guys. All right, you guys, you have a wonderful evening, and let the Geek Vibes be with you. Hola, it's the mayor of Slamtown, Johnny Mundo, a.k.a. Johnny Impact, FKA, John Morrison, sometimes known as Johnny Gimmick Name, and you're listening to Wrestling Geeks Alliance. We'll see you next week. Peace out.